0: Hello, world. Welcome to HopeCast. This is a brand new podcast about spirituality, sexuality, wellness and queerness brought to you by the homos of planet Earth. My name is Paul. I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host today. Uh, Let's say hello, boys. What's your name and where are you from?
1: Good morning. I'm Yasser, uh, pronounced. It's like Yasser, but with an A. You can say Yasser. That works well. But it's Yasser and I'm calling from Lisbon.
2: Yeah. Hello, everyone. Nick here. And yeah, I'm calling in from London.
3: Morning, everyone. My name is Oliver and I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Hello, I'm Anders. I'm calling from
4: Amsterdam.
0: And I'm Matthew and I'm calling from South London. Hello, Matthew. And I'm also in London. Um, You'll get to know more about each of us soon. But first of all, let's tell you where you can find us and how to get in touch because we are a sociable bunch. So we're on Instagram at HopeCastPodcast. You can email us at HopeCastPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at HopeCastPodcast. And coming up today this is our pilot episode we're having a bit of fun we're experimenting uh, we've got some wide-ranging chat coming up on gender on sexuality uh, there'll be a meditation at the end for your wellness pleasure but first of all let's find out a bit more about who's in the room from around the planet so boys let everyone know who you are what you bring to this conversation what you hope for this podcast uh, i'm going to start with yasser again who are you where are you from Gosh, this sounds like a
1: very existential question. So, (laughs) well, I'm literally in Lisbon. I've been here three and a half months, and I uprooted my life in the U.S. to try something new and uh, shake things up in my 50s. So I think what I'm bringing is sort of a perspective around shaking things up, starting anew, and being fully present in the moment. And I think with this podcast, a bit of playfulness and lightheartedness to the whole thing, and hopefully be part of – this Wonderful group, so we can beam some hope out to the world because that's what homos are good at.
0: Nice, thank you, Sarah. That's lovely. And Nick, what about you? How do you what do you think you bring to this? Who are you? Where are you coming from? <laughs> thank you.
2: Yeah, I was wondering about that. Well, I learned to meditate when I was 20, about uh, 30 years ago, and that was shortly after I came out and I think one of the things about uh, realizing I was gay or accepting I was gay was it gave me the sense that um, I don't have a fixed script for my life I can actually create myself and so what I've really enjoyed doing over the last 30 years is, is seeing you know how do I explore creating and recreating myself and you uh, that's involved going and living as a Buddhist monk. It's been living in a community, in a commune. Uh, it's coming to London and, and you know making a working life here, teaching gay men meditation. And at its best, I like to see life as a, as a game. And it's, it's a game that I'm constantly exploring and replaying. Um, uh, where I struggle is that I, I can have an incredibly self-critical inner voice and, and uh, a lot of doubt about myself. So so my whole practice is around working with that uh, dynamic between wanting to be free and to create and be spontaneous, and then some of the more negative, more containing scripts that that limit me and, and prevent me from really uh, being uh, so spontaneous. So that's, that's what I'll be exploring as we come into conversation.
0: Thank you, Nick. Fantastic. And Oliver, you said you're in Tampa, Florida, a place I've never been to. Oh,
3: no, I, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, but I have Atlanta, lived, Georgia. I, I lived close to Tampa. I lived in St. Pete, Florida for a bit, and I lived on the beach.
0: Oh, nice.
3: Uh, but um, I grew up as a son of a preacher man. My dad was a minister, and um, mm-hmm. I spent much of my life trying to um, come to terms with uh, my queerness and, you know, how it fits. And I spent much of my 20s, um, you know, just kind of being a nomad and trying to figure things out and um, really learn what spirituality means to me um, instead of relying on my father and my family's spirituality to guide me. And within about the last five to seven years, I've been on a really concentrated journey of meditation and um Embracing my queerness and loving myself more than I have ever done in my life, and um, learning um, or encapsulating my experiences and bringing that to um, our meditation group and also to the world. I have, um, I do meditation, I teach that to people individually too. So I'm just hoping to um, gain an understanding from. Um, all of your perspectives, um, seeing that we're in all all over the world, and I just love the idea of coming together and sharing our experiences, just gaining some understanding and bringing love to the world. So, thank you for inviting me to be here.
0: I'm so glad you're here, and I've now got Dusty Springfield in my head. Son of a preacher man. and um, Thank you so much, Oliver. Uh, we're going to go over now to Amsterdam to Anders
5: yes um ah uh, exciting um so first of all i'm 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 not dutch i am swedish from from northern sweden and i've lived a little bit all over the place and now i'm in amsterdam very happy here um and i think uh actually a little bit uh i'm, I'm excited to hear oliver's background because i'm uh, also i grew up in a a Christian background a Swedish Pentecostal and um, that's something that I always like to talk about uh, uh, faith and spirituality uh, what uh, a background that maybe sometimes uh, outwardly or in the world can can be assumed to be very painful and and uh, tricky um, that I myself think I I've recently, maybe a little more thought of very positively also. Um, So thinking about those differences a little bit is something that um, I'm sure I will bring in a little bit. And then also that exploration, freedom, seeing uh, how you can play, play through life a little bit. So that's something I like to do as well. Um, But I've, I also thought about something I bring maybe to this, to this podcast is I like to think of myself as uh, a bad gay because I've never like invested in my queerness really. Uh, so that's one of the hopes for me also with this with this uh, podcast is to to uh, embrace uh, my queerness a little more.
3: Mm.
0: A baby gay rather than a bad gay, an emerging gay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Anders and uh, Matthew. How about you? Hi, yeah, um,
4: I'm Matthew. I am a performer and drag queen based in London. Um, I think I I'm bring to the table gender expression. I'm gender fluid, so my boundary-pushing gender expression, I really want to inspire and encourage other people to let go of um, ideas that don't serve them and kind of question the way the world works in terms of gender roles, gender expectations. yeah, I think just getting people to look at the world in a questioning way and have fun with that whole process.
0: Mm, Amazing. So I'm Paul and having heard your introductions, I feel like I bring nothing to this table. (laughs) I'm already fascinated. I've got so many questions I want to talk about because in a way I feel like hearing your stories, I'm defining myself by what I'm not. So I wasn't raised religious and I have lots of questions about faith and spirituality. I think I was uh, I I haven't moved very far so I was born in Scotland but I've moved to London but I don't really have that sense of living in different places around the world and different perspectives. Uh, I'm fascinated by Nick's experience of being a Buddhist monk. You know there's so many things that I feel like I'm I'm asking questions about. But I love that we can explore this together. I think what I do bring, uh, if it's any use, is I am a bit of a podcast nerd. So probably for about fifteen years or so, I've been listening to lots of podcasts and starting off with quite, I don't know, traditional ones, and maybe moving in recent years into more queer spaces and storytelling, and. Thinking about this podcast, I think the intention came really clearly to me about hosting a space where people can have these conversations about aspects of sexuality, spirituality, queerness, wellness. You know, I loved what Yester said about kind of beaming hope into people's homes, but doing it with this sort of queer flavor. And you know, we all met through a, a gay men's meditation group, and that's filled with such beautiful difference, and also that we are a truly global community. I think a lot of the, the podcasts that I listen to come from either a particular place in the world physically or a particular place philosophically, whereas I, I really want us to feel like we're amplifying difference, that we're sharing different perspectives, literally from different places around the world, but through our own difference, whether that's through... Where we live, who we are, what our history is, how old we are—you know, whatever these differences are that we bring. So, how's everyone feeling now that we've kicked off? Now that we've done some introductions, how's everyone doing?
5: Still excited. <laughs> still yes, excited. Let's
0: go. <laughs> okay, still excited, right? Um, we're going to get off the starting grid and into our first topic today. Um, here in the UK, we've been watching kind of with horror, really, the events that took place recently on Clapham Common. Uh, 33-year-old Sarah Everard was killed walking home from Brixton to Clapham on the 3rd of March. And a serving police officer has been arrested for her murder. Now, a couple of weeks later, on the 13th of March, a vigil took place on Clapham Common, mostly women who wanted to pay their respects. Uh, The police intervened very heavily. And we saw photos circulated on social media of women being physically restrained on the ground, all of which happened under the guise of COVID restrictions, that it wasn't okay for people to be together in a group. Um, An investigation took place and it has reported that the police acted appropriately, maybe no surprise there. And of course, social media was like a fight in a pig pen. Uh, women started sharing their stories of how men have made them feel unsafe outdoors. And sadly, it kind of resulted in women being told that they shouldn't be walking home on their own and that hashtag not all men are problematic. And that's just recently in the UK. Globally, women are a majority, but often treated like second class citizens. So it got us thinking, as gay men, what role can we play in being good allies? What can we do to change the conversation about gender? So, Matt, you're going to take us through some of your thoughts and then we can all chip in.
4: I am, I am. So I'll, I'll start off just by um stating, in case uh anyone's unclear what gender is, um, because I know a lot of people get mixed up between sex and gender. Um, so I'll quickly give you a little rundown. Um so basically sex is uh, what is assigned to us at birth um, is based on our biological attributes, and that can be male, that can be female, that can be intersex, um, or that can also be, uh, which I only learned recently, a difference of sexual development, which is DSD. So there's a whole spectrum of the sex um, category, and then gender is how you assi- uh, how you personally identify. Um, so it's all it's all socially constructed based on on what you. Uh, identify with masculine feminine traits or anything in between um and there are plenty of uh, categories in the in the gender spectrum for male female non-binary trans two-spirit uh, genderqueer agender and pangender and many many more um basically the whole the whole reason I find gender really fascinating is because that we're so often told in society that boys do this girls do this and that certain things are for specific people and it's all a load of crap (laughs) (laughs) um i think especially i started doing drag a couple of years ago and really embracing all of the things that society had told me previously that that's not for you because you're a boy or because you were born male um i really love pushing the boundaries with that i don't know about you guys but um yeah there's there's certain things like growing up especially like dancing was for girls and playing football was for boys like can you guys can you guys relate to any any kind of things in your childhood that you were told which you now look at and, and is laughable really
1: mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I that
2: <laughs> when, when i was a boy one one of the things and i, I chat about later when we we're talking about um, another topic about minority stress but I took a doll into school because I used to in- like playing with the doll at home and brushing her hair and making her hair look all nice and, um and I just said to my mom can I take take this into school and she was like yeah sure and then of course I spent the whole day with all the other boys making it obvious that boys don't bring dolls to school mm. and so you know that's whereas Funny enough, the boys never used to make too much problem with me skipping with the girls, but um, <laughs> they seem to just accept that that's what I did. <laughs> but it, there was this whole sense that I can see how people get molded into a certain perspective because, you know, I just felt like I like this doll. I like playing with it. And even once I got home, I still didn't feel I'd done anything wrong. But I told my mum, and she was saying, like, well, why did you take a doll to school? I thought it was for a project. <laughs> so you get these messages that then in order to conform you know you start to shape yourself according to to the messages the world gives you
4: i think uh, relating back to what you were saying earlier as well about um kind of creating your own like identity and stuff it's so often other people's opinions which shape us um and, and you're kind of disconnected from that like childhood innocence and that like hopefulness and that like infinite possibility that there, there starts to come in these voices of I don't know other school kids or teachers or family members but yeah it's it's crazy how quickly someone's vast worldview can be narrowed by a comment here and there um and kind of unpicking that takes a little a little bit of time um but I'd really love yeah, I'd love to encourage a world where we can let kids really explore from such a young age, not be categorised
0: quite so early. Mm. Nick's story reminded me of a really similar one, actually. I, so I, I never really enjoyed drama classes, which is ironic now, um, because I think I didn't ever really want to bring attention to myself so even though you know maybe the stereotype of gay men is kind of you know dramatic and performative, that that was really never me. But I remember being in our drama class. It must have been I don't know sometime around maybe it was about 12 or 13, and we were asked to do some kind of performance. And for part of my costume, I was told to bring in a pair of boots, and I didn't own any boots, and I don't even remember at home where there there were boots lying around, but I knew that I wanted to bring in my mum's blue, like, I don't know how to describe them, like sky blue, ankle length, high heeled boots, (laughs) because they were the kind that Madonna wore on her Virgin tour. And I just didn't think twice about it. I brought them in and I had that same kind of experience that Nick just talks about. I remember taking them out of my bag and people just looking at me like, why have you brought those? And immediately thinking, oh, this isn't okay. I've I've made a mistake here. And I didn't even think about checking to see if my dad had any boots. I was just quite looking forward to wearing these blue ones. But putting them away and not wearing them and just kind of, you know, standing around in my socks, just feeling utterly humiliated. And I don't think I even spoke about it when I went home. And to be honest, I'm not even sure if my mum knew that I'd taken them. But there was just that sense of... Oh, I've crossed a line that I didn't know existed, and people have put me back in my place.
4: It's the shame. Mm. We don't we do, like that. We do not like the shame.
0: Mm. How about others? <laughs> Are we going to have a theme of what did you bring to school that you were then shamed for? <laughs>
5: <laughs> I was thinking actually of I have I have three older sisters, uh, so I grew up in a very um, uh, what should I say, maybe feminine space in in mm. my family. And I loved uh, dressing up. All of us loved dressing up all the time. Uh, we had like a big box of like old, bizarre clothes and robes, but I loved to like wear dresses and we would like, you know, I would say it was a pretty uh, fluid environment. Actually, now that I look back on it, you know, we would mix like we were playing with barbies and legos at the same time kind of like mixing everything up a little bit um but i do know that like once once i started like putting on like a dress one too many times my dad actually <laughs> got rid of those from our big box of uh of uh the like dress up clothes um which i don't actually remember it bothering me very much but i think i was a little bit bitter, but there was still so much else that was kind of like available to to explore that. But that would I mean to me there there was a little bit of a mix between, you know, like doing feminine things is totally fine and okay. And then some some are more okay than others. So there was some form of hierarchy, I think. Mm. Uh, which I haven't thought about that much, but it just now I'm I'm thinking about that.
0: Mm. So like it was fine when you were just messing about, but the time you put it on and went, this looks good on me, I <laughs> like, no, we're not
5: having that. And to me, I mean, it was never something where I wanted to like wear a dress to school, for example. Or so if we, our favorite game was to dress up and mm-hmm. like put on theater at home, basically. So it was part of that uh, for me. But I guess uh, I guess there was a, a danger zone there for my my parents maybe.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of seeing a similar thing. And as I had a sister and she had a lot of dolls, um, I think 13 or 14 and um, she I'd be happy to play with her and her dolls. It was very easy and she was happy to have someone. So I never took the doll to school, but there were plenty at home, but she said something about not wearing a dress to school or something like that. I can't, it was all play at home. And I, when I was 12, 13, my first year of secondary school, this was growing up in Africa, we did a school performance and it was a skit based on the teachers. And they needed someone to dress up as Mrs. Martin, who was our history teacher. And I <laughs> went ahead and volunteered. I must have volunteered. <laughs> and I can't remember, I got this dress. I think it might have been my sister's. And someone brought heels and lipstick and makeup. And I got dressed up and went on stage in front of the whole school <laughs> as Mrs. Martin in the skit. And people were, I think people just saw of pretend. And, you know, the, the boys were all feigning shock and horror. And <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Um, I have to say, it felt very natural and liberating. And I had no idea back then what it was all about. But... Uh, yeah it might i just realized that might have been an early flirtation with drag, but it just felt <laughs> liberating It's,
4: it's really <laughs> interesting, isn't it how um yeah, there is this like spectrum of if it's done in a in a ridicule way or an, it, or if it steps over that line of being like pretend it can't mm. just be like authentically you're expressing your femininity it's yeah it's an interesting line it definitely mm. uh, relates to drag for me especially
1: yeah and I would add matt later on in life when I did play around and experiment with drag a bit and have fun with it, it as a gay man, as an adult and not, no one really knows I did all this, especially with my family. So hopefully they won't listen to the podcast because <laughs> I think they'd be pretty horrified. But um, it was, I would, the word I would use to put the dress, to put on the heels felt very liberating. And it felt mm. like an expression and a respect for the feminine side. It wasn't a spoof. It wasn't let's make fun of the feminine side. It was feeling like, there was a certain power and expression that dressing like that just released in me. And I, I still remember that.
4: Mm.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was reading about this recently, um, discussing it with a friend. There's uh, certain African tribes sort of pre-colonization when when uh, sex between men was, was still an accepted part of, of their culture. Um, They referred to to men who were were attracted to men as as being two-eyed people. Uh, And because there was this sense that there were certain people who saw with one eye, and so they saw from the polarity very much as the the masculine male or the feminine, the female. Um, And then there were these people within the tribe who were two-eyed ones, and they were actually really respected. Because they they brought this synthesis of being able to see with both a masculine and a feminine eye, and maybe part of the wounding of of you know the sort of toxic masculinity is that even as gay men we we maybe still feel that somehow we're we're lesser, or it's like there's a whole thing. It's like, well, are we going to be more butch, or are we you know is is is, is top better than bottom uh, because it's perceived as maybe having more of the masculine male qualities about it and then what do we do to actually celebrate our own uniqueness which is if we are the two-eyed beings you know that as as, is coming out in the conversation like there's this real delight of engaging with the feminine aspect of ourselves that we can connect with really easily and engaging with the masculine that we also have but are we Mm -hmm. wounded around the masculine so actually we don't feel comfortable around, you know, like actually being really masculine, but then we feel that being feminine makes us slightly less than, and then we're in this uncomfortable space where we can't truly actualize ourselves for our uniqueness.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Sorry, No, I was just thinking about that when Nick was speaking. There are times when um, my father would make mention of certain gestures that I would have, or the way that I walk, um, and there was a quick reprimand when I did that. Um, and I, there's a lot of trauma that's associated with that. I think he was. I think he was. Um, he was born in an era. He was born in like the 50s and 60s. So there was a, a total um, different perspective about gender and um, masculinity um back then but um i think when we're kids and we're discouraged from being our true selves i think it definitely leaves a mark um so yeah i was just really thinking about that when, when Nick was talking about that
0: it's, it's really making me think about where we absorb these rules from whether it's you know a very obvious kind of comment by a parent or whether it's uh, you know a, a laugh from your peers at school or whether it's something that you you observe happening in a very subtle way but somehow we all absorb these things and you know, for me uh, girls were always my best friends I didn't really have any friends who were boys when I was younger and and even now i think most of my friends are probably straight women and i've always found it so shocking and abhorrent about how straight men treat women and, and the, the conversations about women in society and the way that you know, women are blamed for the violence of men. And I, I've always wondered if somehow being gay has given me that sense of you know, having two eyes, that, that feeling of, actually, these are my friends, this isn't about… you know I, I can't tolerate the fact that people are treating women this way and yet often feeling quite helpless or powerless, because then it becomes a dynamic of masculinity. You know, I think if I was to challenge a straight man who was being sexist, it then puts me in a place of vulnerability, because then immediately the homophobia comes up. So I find it difficult. I find it difficult to think about how I can be a better ally. And, you know, maybe through through Matthew, what you were saying about kind of messing about with gender, maybe there's something about encouraging ourselves to play about in that space more, either to get a bit of empathy, get a bit of power. You know, I love that.
4: I think it's, yeah, I think for me, it's really about uh, being empowered and using femininity as something to be revered and celebrated. Cause Mm. I mean, the, the patriarchal society we live in has masculinity as like the pinnacle, but actually the feminine aspects of all of us are beautiful and powerful and there's so there's so many things that that need to be celebrated and not put on on a different level playing um, sorry to be put on a level playing field um mm. and i think one of the ways in which doing that is for men or anyone to just express their femininity in a very open and authentic way mm. and challenging Again. the nor- and challenging gender norms
1: I think oh. that which from based on what you're saying, um, you know, I mean, Oliver was talking about being reprimanded for walking or showing feminine traits, and Anders had the dresses taken away. And so, I think as gay men, we have a, or however we identify on that spectrum, is we have more willingness and openness for whatever reason to explore our gender diversity, our feminine side as well, and it gets shut down as we've all discovered. But then, when we can rediscover it at some point in our lives and say, this is a source of power, not of shame.
0: Mm.
1: If We can integrate that into who we are as gay men. Then we have, we can be better allies towards women and towards, you know, people who identify as women and who are in this patriarchal society, like this poor woman, you know, um, being, being killed. And so how do we say, you know, we are men, we're gay men, and we're proud of that. We also have, a connection to our feminine energy, and we're proud of that too, and this isn't okay. And then we become, you know, we stand up to the heterosexual, patriarchal, straight world of men who have these expressions of toxicity. Not everyone, but a lot of them do. And so I feel there's sort of an integration we have to bring in ourselves and then put that out. And that that's bold and that's brave, and, but it's necessary, right?
5: Yeah, well, I was actually... Uh... Like you're saying, like I, I was thinking of also a, a school a, a school situation where we I don't know if it's in the rest of the world too, but at least northern Sweden is obsessed with uh, competition in school, and it often so happens that you do girls versus boys as teams. <laughs> and I would very often be called into the girls team basically like the the girls wanted me on their team it wasn't that i was shunned by the boys team necessarily although they were probably happy especially if it were in regards to sports because that is not something i'm good at but i was thinking about it now i'm like you know back then i think it was it felt a little hurtful you know because you learn that feminine is less than Mm -hmm. Um, and even later I was thinking about it and I'm like, it it was hurtful that people wanted to say that I was a girl basically, or like should be on the girls team, but later and now I'm celebrating that more. And I'm just like, yes, Mm -hmm. I got to be on that team. And that's what I'm thinking now too, with, with being an ally. I'm like, you know, I let let myself be called into that team, like to play on the, the girls team or the feminine team team to 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 win basically
0: Mm, i love that i I do often think that uh, misogyny is the heart of homophobia Mm -hmm. when you kind of dig under Mm -hmm. what's really going on you know those questions that get thrown out Oh, which one of you is the woman as if that's the bad thing and oh that man's too feminine or he's wearing a dress or whatever it is i often think that actually misogyny is at the heart of so much of the the pain that goes around in society and that gay men are are a threat to straight men they're a threat to that perception that feminine is bad it's a way of reinforcing that power so it's um yeah thank you Matthew for bringing something really important for us that also we've experienced and it's now giving me a chance to think about how do I reclaim that how do I really step into that power So thank you. I notice I keep calling you Matthew as well. Like I feel it's really formal. So Matthew, I might have to move on to Matt. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you for that. I think we can all agree down with the patriarchy. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yes. And while we're on the topic of shit we would dismantle, um, here in the UK, more than three years have gone by since the government said it was going to commit to banning so-called conversion therapy, which are those vile practices offered as supposed cures for homosexuality. Uh, Not only do they not work, because you can't change who you are, uh, they can cause people lifelong harm. Now, they're at the extreme end of homophobia, uh, but we've all already talked about experiencing some form of harm or trauma because of our sexuality. And Nick, you wanted to talk about the concept of minority stress, which is not something that I'm familiar with. So do you want to tell us about that?
2: Thank you. Well, in a way, we've already started touching on it by sharing some of our stories. Um, I'm going to start with a story, really, which is from my own Um, childhood when i was about nine and i was watching a comedy program Uh, in the comedy show uh, there was three monks each with a halo standing on a street and a beautiful woman walked past and the monk on the right lost his halo and so the other monks (laughs) looked at him and like naughty monk having uh, lascivious thoughts And then another beautiful woman walked past and the monk on the left lost his halo. And the monk in the middle looked very smug, still being very (laughs) saintly and holy. Uh, And then a man walked past and his halo went... (laughs) Now, in itself, actually, and in, in the context of what we've just been talking about, that would be quite funny because it would be about the assumptions we make, you know, um, assuming, you know, uh, gender sort of and, and sexuality about someone. But then what happened next? And bear in mind, this is about 1978 when this was being broadcast. The two monks on either side slowly backed away, leaving the monk in the middle alone and just looking a little awkward. And and as an eight, nine-year-old, I saw this, and I just had this horrible sense in myself. I somehow feel that's me. I don't know why, but I identify with that man who's just been shunned. And there's all these little micro moments of feeling other, of being set aside, Um. Another example was when I went to Boy Scouts for a taster session, and as soon as I walked into the Scout Hut, I just had this whole sense of panic through my whole body. Mm. Like now I would phrase it that, you know, they weren't my tribe. I I didn't feel that I belonged there. Um, And I spent the whole evening just with this whole sense of panic in my body. Uh, I've mentioned about, you know, taking the doll to school. There's all these little moments where, and minority stress is basically anyone who is growing up as a minority in a majority culture. So that might be your, your religion, it might be your colour, uh, your ethnicity, uh, gender or sexuality. Uh, when there's a surrounding culture that is telling you in some way that you are different, other or wrong, it brings up this sense of minority stress and in fact with research it's found that minority stress has the same impact on someone growing up with it as growing up in a war zone In that there are these small moments of trauma and that that trauma then gets embedded in the body those moments that can't be dealt with uh, a feeling we're wrong different other rejected um and and it's something I've really been exploring recently because I know you know as I as I went through my teenage years yeah. there was a whole fear of being at school going to PE twice a week and just the crying myself to sleep before I went into PE because I just hated that feeling that I was going to be the last one picked for the team that the boys made it clear I wasn't even wanted on whichever team I was chosen for and that, again I just didn't belong there. And it's this message, it's this constant message of not belonging, not being wanted, you don't fit in, which leads to this sense of, of minority stress. And of course, then we come out and we come out through this glorious door of, you know, emerging and slam the door on those teenage years or wh- whatever <laughs> our years of not accepting ourselves was. And, and then we're out and fabulous. But of course what happens is there's there's still this wounding, the, the shrapnel of trauma that has lodged in our body from those moments of being rejected or made wrong. Um, and and as gay men, that's something that 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 we then need to explore because it's what gives rise to, you know, this greater incidence of addiction and need for for maybe, you know, sex addiction or uh, drugs or, you know, greater incidence of mental health disorders amongst gay men. And now all of this, it's not that, you know, gay men are wrong, but it's that, you know, we're not recognised as being the two-eyed beings that we are and then we're somehow, you know, not allowed to grow fully into our glorious, so we're not welcomed into the tribe as, oh, you're you're going to be the shaman, you're going to be the druid, you're going to be the healer of the tribe. And valued, instead, we're told, you're wrong for mm-hmm. for this quality, like all of us
1: Yeah, Nick, as you speak about that, sorry to jump in, but you were talking about being the last one to be picked for this team. And it was the same with me in school, I was always... Down to the last three two, one, and it was just always so shameful and embarrassing and deflating. so and I wasn't particularly good at the sports either, so there was a reason for it. <laughs> but at the time, yeah, and as you were sharing all that, I was feeling a real sense of sadness coming up in me around all that. Mm. yeah, yes, yeah,
2: and do you notice that really in your body?
1: Yeah, I feel it down the front of my body, you know, in the front half down to the the belly area. But just it almost feels, yeah, it's this yeah. sense of sadness around that experience as mm-hmm. a 12- or 9-year-old. Yes. And I don't know if anyone else sort of is feeling yeah. anything
3: at yeah, least. I, yeah, I felt that too. And, and not only being queer, but being Black, and also um, in my family being um on the outside as far as religion is concerned um and i and also as an impact you you like you said nick you kind of feel that um sadness and um uh, i guess a fear when you go into those spaces sometimes because you're not sure how you're going to be received um and that has been a sense of um you know, things that I had to work through um, in my life. And I found that the things that I am self-conscious of um, has been my greatest power in assisting other people in life and assisting myself. Um, But yeah, I I get the feeling that you, Nick, and you, you, Yasser, have felt being in a room with people and Mm -hmm. being the last one to get picked. Or, um, you know, when I'm in predominantly black spaces, people will comment on my accent because it's not, um, I don't always speak with, uh, it's called the African American vernacular. I don't always speak like that all the time. So sometimes I get, you know, picked on for that. So um, I think it's just something to um, be aware of. As far as healing is concerned. And um, I've, I've just had to work through that. And I'm sure all of us here have had to do it too. Um, but I, I totally resonate with what you said, Nick, and also you, you too. Hmm.
0: And when I think about this from a global perspective, you know, we're all around the world. White, straight, cisgendered, able bodied men are the minority oh. on this planet. And yet, have somehow convinced people that they have the power, that they are the majority, that everyone else is a smaller group. And I I just think it's interesting that not only have I, and maybe some of us, kind of internalized that sense of being in a minority, but also how much I used to blame myself for that. And I think it was last summer, it was probably about a year ago. Um when I was doing some work with a, a group of people, we were kind of exploring our stories. And the image that came to me, I think probably for the first time ever, was that, you know, I was just these pieces of a jigsaw. But actually someone had put the wrong lid on the box hmm. and the picture was just wrong. It just wasn't my picture. So people were trying to put my pieces into what they thought was sky and actually it was sea. And it's not that there was anything wrong with my pieces. It's just that there was this expectation that I was going to be a certain thing. Even from, you know, I remember like childhood and kind of just those stories that people say about, oh, one day you'll get married and you'll have children. I always knew that wasn't going to be my story. And actually, I never questioned that. I've never questioned who I was. And I don't think I've ever really felt like I was wrong. I always used to think they were wrong, but I never had the voice to say it. I never felt empowered to feel that or to say it out loud. So all of those spaces I would go into, whether it was the the PE class, the changing, God, the changing rooms, oh my God, how many nightmares did I have about that? It Whereas now going to the gym, it's like free fun. Whereas in the past, it was like something to really just, I used to have to put a little space around myself because it felt so unsafe. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think something that happened last year where I thought, no, they, I wasn't wrong. They were wrong. They were they they had the wrong lid on my box. Mm. so to speak.
4: No I really resonate I really resonate with that, actually. It's kind of like we allowed ourselves to be disconnected from who we knew we were to please other people. I think you had to put on this acceptable mask, um and kind of yeah, part of the integration of discovering your sexuality and gender is going back to those that inner child that inner teenager and and giving some love and saying you only did what you needed to do to to survive that and get and get through it um yeah there's a lot of power in rediscovering those lost or forgotten or yeah unloved parts of the time and they are necessary for integration as a full human basically yeah yeah, it's so
2: important. It's like you know, I've taught loving kindness meditation for thirty years now, and fifteen years here with with gay men. And and the thing that everyone tends to come back with is saying how difficult they find to to bring loving kindness to themselves. And I mean, it's it's a general thing within our culture, so it is also a cultural thing. But particularly working with gay men, there, you know, if we've had those experiences which have given rise to a sense of shame, it's like basically the message is what you're doing is wrong and then we internalize that into I am wrong and and in order to try and escape I am wrong then we do whatever we do to try and not feel what's there. But like Matthew's saying, it's like it's it's coming back to to feeling. Well, like Yasu was describing the sensations in his body. And sometimes we start meditating and we think, well, I don't want to meditate because I feel really icky in my body if I, you know, I'm doing a loving-kindness meditation and I don't feel love for myself. I just feel really like, oh, really uncomfortable. So this doesn't work. But actually it's about that something starting to come to the surface, which was the unfelt, unloved part of ourselves that is now asking to be, to be held. So I'm curious to know, because I've outlined, you know, uh, uh, the issue of minority stress, I'm just wondering, different people, you know, how do you feel you've addressed that? Or it may be unconsciously not naming it as working with minority stress, but how what things have you done to help
4: healing? I'll jump in. (laughs) Um, I think drag for me is part of the of the way of uh, healing that that shame of wanting to express my femininity, especially, um, and even in terms of my sexuality. I think for a long time we're well actually just in society we're generally shamed for being sexual beings, and it's s- sex isn't something that people talk about. Um, so, I'm kind of em- embracing a lot more of that actively, um, and yeah, like and wearing wearing the clothes I want to wear and making. I've started making clothes in this last two years and we- wearing stuff that I would want to wear, regardless of if it's a male or female, masculine, feminine, floaty, structured, like it's something I enjoy wearing. I think that's really important for me to embrace. And yeah, that's part of my creative
3: process at the moment is just doing what feels good. Yeah. I, I, I do the same, Matthew. I'm, I, I, for me, I stop myself from code switching, you know, and and catching myself from being my full authentic self. I'm not doing that anymore. So when I go to work, I'm I'm cleaning out. I don't care, you know. I'll, you know, maybe I'll put some nail polish on, or um, you know, I'll just. I, I'm not going anywhere, not being my full authentic self. That's how I. That's how I feel.
1: Right, and make me think of what Paul was saying, which I love, that the picture on the box, on the puzzle box is wrong. The cover of the picture is wrong. We're not wrong. What's in the box is
0: is what the truth is. Yeah. So I we have to struggle. stop. Yeah. I, I, I get it on a intellectual level. I think I still struggle with it on a whole level. Um. So for me, one of the things that I've really that I think has been a positive out of COVID-19 has been lockdown. I mean, it's been so difficult in so many ways for so many people, but I actually feel like it's given me the chance to put myself into so many more queer spaces online to get to know people who I would never have met just by wandering around in the streets of London Mm -hmm. and also giving myself a chance to think about who do I want to be when things open up again? And I get it in my brain, but you know, yesterday, so me and Dan, my husband, were we went out for a walk in London. It was really nice weather. And what I noticed was because most of the country is still in lockdown, most of the people who were out and about were builders and workmen. I'd say it was eighty percent men out of, out and about in the streets. And immediately, I felt a bit more unsafe again, and you know i have that moment where i thought no don't give yourself a hard time for it this is just how it is but immediately going god all these things that i've wanted to do when the world opens up again how do i make that happen how do i really take that courageous step and not just kind of go back in, not not go backwards to where i was a year ago so you know, it's one of the things I, I'd love to talk about more as we as we have these conversations on the podcast is to think about how to be my most me, rather than just retreating back into what feels safe. So I don't I know if that's so, uh, an answer to what people have done, Anders. Go for it. <laughs> uh,
5: no, it's it's super interesting because to me this this gives me ideas to. Um, to, to take into my, my therapy as well. Uh, just making this a therapy session now, but uh, uh, <laughs> that is it. thinking about this um, minority stress and so on is something that actually is already coming up for me this spring. I'm going to, to therapy um, because I'm a warrior. Um, I have anxiety. I uh, also have discovered a very big fear of failing. In general, and uh, uh, talking about that, uh, I I I even told my therapist I was like I don't I don't like to talk about growing up gay as as a main reason for things, but you know it it is um, often, and uh, I'm really interested to see where that goes because we talk a lot about um, taking you know past, but also of course present um, stressors and issues that have created this um in my case a uh, gay fear of failing maybe i could call it okay. uh and and really thinking about it and thinking about what i would have needed and what would be the better behavior or thought um surrounding it and to me i was maybe not gonna think as much about something as like like a minority stressor um, before, but now now I can bring that into my my sessions, even, and i'm I'm very interested in seeing what I can do, you know with in in the format of therapy uh, about my own thoughts regarding all the little micro situations mm-hmm. that that cause that stress.
0: And I'd love for one of our future podcasts to put fear of failure on the agenda, because I absolutely totally <laughs> resonate with that on so many levels. <laughs> um, so Nick, just before we come to the end of this session, what what words of advice would you give to someone who wants to um, to do that healing on themselves?
2: Allow yourself to to really stay present and feel what's in your body, at at times feeling uh, stressed. Um, And when when life situations come along which cause distress, I'm looking more and more at using those like a mirror to, to look at what is in the unknown, what's being put into the unconscious. Uh, one person has said that, you know, as we go through life, it's like we throw these things in a sack on mm-hmm. our back, which are all the things we won't or can't look at or can't deal with. Um, and how do we find out what's on the sack on our back? You know, those micro moments of being shamed, of, of being ridiculed, of feeling I'm not good enough. I don't fit in here. I don't belong, which then becomes I am wrong. Um and when when these things come up, looking, using it as a mirror to be like, oh, what is it that I'm not knowing about the unconscious scripts that I've written for myself? And then on the other side, it's like just really, you know, maybe we can explore this more in other sessions. It's like finding, you know, how do I find ways to really love myself mm. um, and care for myself? And if I were truly loving myself, what would I do for myself? Mm-hmm. Um and, that's and, beautiful. and exploring that um, yeah sorry yes
1: no that's beautiful the way you just said it Nick mm. how
0: do I love myself and care for myself thank you so today I think it's already raised a load of questions for me you've given me a few answers a few ideas of how I can start to do that um I'd love us to have a conversation on a future episode about fear of failure Um we also uh, I was really curious in that the conversation about minority stress, about the ways that we as gay men maybe kind of do it to ourselves and try to fit in, try to appear, you know, like just those kind of nice gays down the road. And, you know, I'd love to have a conversation uh, on future episodes about, you know, gay relationships and sexuality and polyamory and all these other kind of ways of being in the world. And that's something Oliver's really keen to talk about. So we can maybe do that next time. But just that sense of how do we be more loving to ourselves? How do we be more kind to each other? I think it's a great point for us to now move over to Yasser. who's going to bless us with a meditation, a short meditation to close the podcast, and then we'll finish with a, a quick round from each of us about what's made us hopeful. But Yasser, yeah, we could come to you next if that's okay for a a, a short uh, meditation for us each to.
1: Lovely. Sure. Paul, should we do about seven to ten minutes, or what would you like?
0: Um, I'm conscious that Nick needs to go and have some lunch before he starts teaching. So, can we go for like maybe five to seven minutes? That'd be okay. That sounds good. Okay.
1: Okay. Let's just maybe we'll close our eyes if you like and just settle. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath in. And anyone listening to this podcast, we ask you if you like to follow along with us and just be with us in this moment. Take a deep breath and just let everything go. Take a few more breaths on your own. There's been a lot of things coming up today, a lot of topics, rich discussion. For many of us, that brings up feelings of shame or memories or. Sadness, even. Just allow yourself to breathe and be with everything as it is. given that it's easter weekend for many people i'm just thinking of two words that richard Rohr, who's a christian contemplative spiritual teacher says it's beautiful words and he basically says everything belongs so we'll just meditate on that everything belongs all of us here in this little podcast we belong with all our diverse expressions all our experiences growing up. We belong. Anyone listening to this podcast who's felt different in any way? Irrespective of what it is, it might be gender, it might be race, it might be religion, ethnicity. Sexuality, ability, all of us belong. As we sit together, just feel that sense of belonging spreading out into the world, beginning with you. and unfolding and bringing everyone into that embrace of belonging. We embrace all parts of ourselves, the parts that have been denied, the parts that have been shamed, both by others and ourselves. And in this moment, we hold them in the light of our goodness and compassion and welcome them back in. Everything belongs. There's nothing to change or fix in ourselves. When we take the lid off the box and do the puzzle, we see what truly emerges. So it's just a matter of taking the box off and our true nature is revealed to us. When we can be present to that and accepting of our true nature as loving, kind beings, then we have no need to put anyone else down or to cause violence to anyone, even whether through words or physical actions or to make someone else feel less than, to cover up our own shame. And for all those who can see that and have taken the lid off the box, we have a chance to shine that out into the world, to bring hope through this hope cast to others. to recognize the damage that the patriarchy does, both to us as gay men, to women, to transgendered people, to anyone who's different and doesn't fit some fantasy norm that was never really there. We take a moment to remember Sarah Everett and her family and the hundreds of others who every day face some abuse or violence as a result of being different. And so for many who celebrate Easter, this is the time to remember that And to reconnect, perhaps, with the goodness we have in our hearts. That everything belongs. We may not like it. We may not love it. But we belong. and We belong to each other. So as you go forward, act today, just hold that in your heart. Slowly open your eyes, return to the present moment.
0: Hmm. Here's in my eyes, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. As we bring today to a close, um, I'd like to just hear from everyone uh, a sentence or two about what's given you hope from the conversations we've had today. And also it's your chance just to throw in your website, your Instagram, whatever you want, if you want people to be able to get in touch or find out more about you so nick can i come to you first because i know that you're on a on a timeline uh so how's how's today been for you what's given you hope and where can people find you and you're on mute hun went into silence
2: for the meditation <laughs> um yeah it, it, i think what gives me hope is that part of the healing is when we tell our stories and when our stories are heard. And this is uh, this is a small group of us telling our stories, but I, I hope that as other people hear that, a um, bit like sort of Anders, you know, there may be others who will hear our stories and that will, will help them think about their stories and, and, and help with their healing. Um, and in terms of, of how I can be contacted, um, Uh, uh, on Instagram it's evolving underscore minds underscore UK Um, and on YouTube uh, again uh, if you search for evolving minds
0: uh, Nick it will come up. Thank you Nick and people can join your morning meditation sessions which I'm proud to be a part of so thank you. Yes every weekday morning 8am. Fantastic. Oliver, how's it been for you today? What's given you hope and where can people find
3: you? Um, today has given me hope for deep connectedness, not only with uh, amongst ourselves, but with um, all who listen to this podcast. I think our stories and um, has the potential to, to, to bring a lot of on. so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, you all can find me um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at AmarisVitae um and also marisvite.com um, i do meditations um purpose sessions and uh custom customized meditations for people
0: fantastic thank you oliver matt coming to you next what's giving you hope um just i'm
4: just looking at this screen of wonderful humans in front of me and i'm really hopeful um our discussions are going to be able to help other people who are listening and um yeah, inspire other people's creativity and freedom to express themselves in new and exciting ways. Um, and uh, you can find me on Instagram. My drag uh, account is Ella Veride, and that's E-L-L-A-V-E-R-Y-D-E.
0: I was so happy when I eventually worked out what it meant. Because <laughs> I was going, <laughs> Ella Ver- I was thinking it was something to do with green. And then I went, Ella Veride. <laughs> that's pretty. I am. Um, The one and only. (laughs) Matthew had to
1: tell me eventually what it was because I was too slow to figure it out on my own.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anders, how about you? What's given you hope today?
5: Oh, uh, all of it. Um, But uh, I I really feel like I take away um, a a greater sense maybe of, of, well, this community growing and also um creating spaces creating a little more love uh both for myself and and for others around me who may not uh, you know have the the same expression of themselves as me and just um that's what i'm hopeful about is creating those thoughts of uh, of really being mindful of each other's uh,
0: experience and where can people find you
5: Oh yes, Uh, so also on Instagram it's uh, Anders Creative, A N D E R S Creative, uh, where I uh, post design and ramble about freelancing, basically.
0: (laughs) Fantastic! And yes, sir,
1: what's given you hope today? Lots of things, but most of all, all of you, because just the beautiful sharing and insight and wisdom from all of us in several different countries and around the world—it's just giving me so much hope and. Together, I think we can shine this really bright light and give hope out to the world. So I'm feeling a lot of love and appreciation for all of you right now and Paul for creating this really lovely. And to find me, well, easiest is um, website is thetangle.com It's one of them. And on Instagram, you can just search for Untangle the Tangle.
0: Fabulous. And Thank you. Good start. Thank you. I'll make sure that I put all the links into the notes as well so people can find us. Um, People can find me at Dr Paul Taylor Pitt on Instagram. And what's given me hope today is just all of these conversations that we've had, which for me are a theme of taking the lid off. And I loved the meditation. Yes, I I loved when you said we belong. It reminded me of that Pat Benatar song, which I'm not going to sing. But I just Googled oh, go the lyric. Oh, no, that's one way for people never to listen. Um, Googling the lyrics, it just it really spoke to me. So the chorus goes, We belong to the light. We belong to the thunder. We belong to the sounds of the words we've fallen under. Whatever we deny or embrace, for worse or for better, we belong, we belong, we belong together. Just feels like the perfect way to end. Thank you, everyone. This has been an amazing first episode. So, thank you so much for taking part. Hopefully, we'll see you all again soon. And we'll do that Zoom audio podcast wave that never comes across
3: on audio (laughs) and say thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye, everyone.